Isaiah chapter number 7. I gotta turn there myself. Well, in the summer of 2007, our oldest Isabel was a year and a half, and Dana was on bed rest with Ireland, and I was standing in the kitchen. So she was Dana was laying in the living room on the couch. She did that for 15 weeks. It was a long, long summer, but uh, God was with us. And there was a storm that blew through Greenville, South Carolina, where we lived. And just like, I guess, here, there's sometimes storms that can blow up and they can do some real damage. And so this is looking from um, our house out of the tree that was in our front yard. And there was a young lady. Let's see here. I'm sorry. I got to figure out how to turn the sound down. Here we go. And this uh, tree was in the front of our house, and it fell down. This little girl that was playing outside, and she was a little wild. She liked to um, come up. She's kind of a girl that would come up to your house and knock on your door in the middle of the day and ask what you're doing, you know? (laughs) So she was playing in our yard, and she happened to be playing under the tree, and that tree cracked. And I remember looking outside of my window and seeing this little girl run from the tree and she couldn't get away from it. And she actually, you can't tell, but under that tree, there's a car and she fell down on the ground. That tree hit on top of her and we ran out there. I ran out there not knowing what had happened to her. And so there's my 1991 Dodge Spirit. Love that car. (laughs) That was the end of it that day, by the way. And I looked under the car, and there was that little girl. She fell on the ground and rolled under the car, and she was okay. Those trees, though, that we have there in South Carolina like that, they're called Bradford pears. They're the the bane of existence for neighborhoods, and I don't know if we have them out here. I hope not. That's an engineered tree, and it's planted with the idea that it's going to grow fast. And so when you have a neighborhood, they clear the land, they build houses, they can have these trees but they're notorious for breaking and, uh, and being, being uprooted when they have storms come through. And so when you go through a neighborhood, you'd see these trees everywhere. And then event, you know, when there's a storm, you'd see them broken everywhere as well. And today we're going to learn uh, about the winds of uncertainty that blow upon our hearts. And in the picture that Isaiah gives us here, and really the Lord gives us in Isaiah chapter 7, is that the winds of uncertainty will blow upon our hearts and God uses this to test our faith in the Lord. And our hearts must have faith in God and find our strength in the Lord. In fact, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 9 you can look down really is one of the one of the key verses in this chapter here. It says if you are not firm Standing firm in faith, you will not be firm or you're not going to stand firm at all. In other words, if your inner heart is weak with unbelief, then you'll be weak and you'll find yourself without the peace and stability of the Lord. And like that tree was weak and it broke when the winds blew, many people would break and are overcome by the winds of problems Because at their core, their heart lacks faith in 
God. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a, an Advent series on faith in the midst of uncertainty. We're going to be studying, actually, Matthew chapter 1 and 2. That's going to start next week. We're going to start here in Isaiah chapter number 7. We'll introduce really that series, uh, this series, and go into Matthew 1 next week. Joseph was the legal father of Jesus. He was not the biological father, but he was the legal father. He was, you could say, the stepfather. And Jesus was born, was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So Mary was biologically related to him, but not Joseph. But God the Father gave Joseph the responsibility to serve as the role of his earthly father. And what an amazing responsibility and duty that would have been. Can you imagine that? Being tasked with that. What we see of Joseph in Matthew 1 and 2 is is a man who has sincere, sincere and just simple faith in the Lord. And in Isaiah chapter 7 here, what's interesting is you see another man who's the king of of Judah, and he doesn't have faith in the Lord. This man's name is King Ahaz, and he was a wicked king of Judah. And then we go to Matthew chapter 1, and we see a man who has faith in God. What's interesting to look at is both of these men have many similarities. In fact, there's, there's somewhat in the scriptures a comparison of these two, but they also have many differences. And in your handout, actually put some of those some of those in there, just the similarities that they have and some of the differences. Both of these men, King Ahaz in Isaiah 7 and Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, they're both sons of David from the kingly line of David. Both face uncertain times and trouble. Both are tempted to fear. Both have a message of God sent to them. The word of the Lord came to them. Both are given wonderful promises from the Lord. Both hear prophecy of what will happen in the future. Both are told the same prophecy. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. So they're very similar. But actually the contrast between them couldn't be more different. Ahaz responded to his uncertainty with fear. Joseph responded with faith. Ahaz acted in rebellion and sin, and Joseph carefully considered his his decisions and followed the Lord with righteous faith. Ahaz rejected the word of the Lord, and Joseph received the word of the Lord and obeyed. So what we're going to look at today is first, we're going to look at the unbelief in the midst of uncertainty, and next week, look at faith in the midst of uncertainty. So first, we're going to see this morning... The unbelieving heart falls into fearful despair in the midst of uncertainty. That's the picture the Lord gives us here of King Ahaz's heart in Isaiah chapter 7. Before we read the text, let me give you a little background so you can understand what we're talking about here. This passage here takes place in 734 B.C. So when we read the scriptures, it actually takes place in a real historical time. So 730 years before Christ came to this world as a baby, this is when this passage took place. And Ahaz here was the king of Judah. If you remember your Old Testament history, or if you don't remember it at all, I'll tell you. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. So I have an arrow there on the screen that points to the southern kingdom that they called Judah. 
And the northern kingdom was called Israel. Sometimes it's called um, Samaria because that's the capital of the city. Sometimes it's called Ephraim. And the northern kingdom, they basically completely rejected God. They lived in idolatry. The kings were all wicked. The southern kingdom had some good kings, some godly kings, and they had some wicked kings. And King Ahaz was from Judah, and he was one of those very, very wicked kings. The Bible says that he took the throne when he was 20 years old. And at this time in history, in Isaiah chapter 7, he is facing severe difficulty and problems. From the south, the Edomites, you can see the kingdom of Edom down there. The Edomites are coming against him. In fact, they revolted. They invaded their land. They took back captives to the kingdom of Edom. Then you have the Philistines who are always a problem for them. They come and they invade. They take over some cities. And then the king of Israel and the king of Syria come down. They have a coalition against Judah and they come down and they start attacking him as well. Now you might wonder, why would the Jewish people in Samaria and in the northern kingdom there, why would they come down and attack their Jewish brothers? Well, because there was a bigger threat called the Assyrians into the north here. And Israel and Syria thought, we'll get a coalition together. We'll get all of our kings together. We'll come against the Assyrians. That way we're not going to be taken over by them. But Judah said no. And so to punish Judah, they decided, Syria and Israel decided to come down and attack their, their brothers. Of course, Syria wasn't uh, Jewish, but they're going to attack them. The Bible says that over 120,000 men died at the hands of the Syrians of Syria and Israel, 120 Jewish, um, men of Judah. And many men and women and children were actually taken as captives back to Samaria. So just picture what's going on here. Here you have King Ahaz, and he's in the, he's in the capital city of Jerusalem, and that's pretty much all that's left. I mean, he has Jerusalem, and everything else has pretty much been overtaken, and he is in a very bad Place. And so it's with that background we look at Isaiah chapter 7. And notice as we read through this, Isaiah's unbelief and how he falls into fearful despair in the midst of uncertainty. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. So, King Ahaz, king of Judah. Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of of Remaliah, the king of Israel, so these two kings from the north, came to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. And when the house of David was told this, Syria is in league with Ephraim, or with Israel, the northern kingdom, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So what a great picture God gives us here of what the heart of Ahaz and really all of Jerusalem was like. This is really a good picture of what happens in our hearts when uncertainty comes and blows upon us. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as the trees. And so like that tree that shakes and breaks, uncertainty blows over our hearts. When our heart ignores God, 
when we live in independence from God and as if God doesn't matter or maybe doesn't even exist, our hearts can actually, like his, shake with fear. We can face intense anxiety. I mean, just think of the trouble that Ahaz was in. I mean, here he's considering the fact that he and all of Jerusalem might be taken away and might be killed. You ever found yourself in a place where you are in such anxiety and such fear that you're just gripped by it? You wake up maybe at 3 a.m. thinking about that problem and you can't go back to sleep. You worry about the future. Your heart is gripped by fear. You don't know what's going to happen or maybe you're concerned about something that is happening and that, that fear paralyzes you or you're just overcome by that anxiety. And what that reveals, it reveals that your heart is weak. Listen to this. Your heart is weak in unbelief. And it, and it might show like, like Ahaz that you're without faith in the Lord. So, so you fret and you despair like he did. And look at verse number three. The Bible says, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sher Jazeb, your son. It's quite a name to give your son there, huh? Sher Jazeb, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and, and Syria and the son of Remaliah. So, so the Lord commanded King Ahaz not to fear what we're going to see in a second. He's going to say, you should have faith in what I'm going to tell you. And notice God presents this idea of standing strong in faith in the Lord. Look at verse 5. Because Syria and Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, has devised evil against you. So these two northern kingdoms have devised evil against you, saying, so here's their plot. Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel, as king in the midst of it. So thus says the Lord, it, this is the promise from God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass for the head of Syria is Damascus. In other words, that's the capital Damascus and the head of Damascus is resident. In other words, that's the king of, of Syria. And within 65 years, Ephraim, the Northern kingdom will be scattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. Listen to this last line in verse number nine. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. I love that verse, verse nine. Some of that might be kind of confusing as you're reading through that. But the NIV translates that verse like this. If you do not stand firm in faith, you will not stand at all. And what's interesting here is this is actually not just a call to Ahaz, but if you look in verse 9 there, that you is actually plural. This is to the house of David. This is to Israel. Stand strong in faith in uncertain times, which leads us to our, our second point, unbelief in the midst of uncertainty. The unbelieving heart fails to see God's 
purposes, fails to see God's purposes. The Lord told Isaiah to go meet Ahaz at the upper pool. Now, in Jerusalem, this was the part, the northern part of Jerusalem, that actually was very vulnerable. It was where the water supply was. So what he was doing there is he would have been actually building that up, preparing for the invasion that was going to take place. So you can imagine King Ahaz at this place. I mean, he's imagining armies coming through this northern part of Jerusalem here. And what are they plotting to do against him as king? They will not just take over Jerusalem. They actually want to kill him, kill off the house of David and replace it with another king. So how would you feel if you were in his situation? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much, I mean, pretty much you're toast. You're going to have one last stand. But instead of turning to the Lord, instead of saying, I have no way to turn, I'm going to turn to the Lord Ahaz rejected the Lord. Ahaz walked, Isaiah walked up to him at this pool, this area, and gave him a message from the Lord. The message was twofold. It was visual, it was an object lesson, and also it was verbal, visual and verbal. So the visual part was that Isaiah took his son with him. Look at verse 3. The Lord said to Isaiah, go out and meet Ahaz, you and your son there. And his son, why would he bring his son? Well, it's because his son's name meant something. And back at the Jew, in Jewish times, your name meant something. And as a prophet here, Isaiah named his son with a name that carried a prophetic message. The message was this, a remnant shall return. So when you would have heard his name, it had been hard to pronounce, but you would have known it meant a remnant shall return. So this, was a, this gave hope. This should have given hope to Israel. Like, Yes, judgment has come. God is judging us, but he's not going to wipe us out. He's going to keep a remnant for himself. And this actually, think about it. Remember, the angel came to Joseph and said, call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sin. So the name of Jesus, which means God saves, actually says what God is going to do. It was there to give Joseph hope in what God's purposes were. And so here, God presents to King Ahaz his purpose and that he's going to have a remnant come. And so God's purpose towards Israel really was twofold. One was judgment, and and one of God's purposes as well was of rescue. So one of judgment, one of rescue. In fact, as as Ahaz looked around him and saw all the destruction, I mean, you got to think about this. He probably had relatives. He probably had friends that he knew that was taken away to these distant countries, never to be seen from again. And as you think about all that, that, that terror and just the, the difficulty of that and not knowing what's going to happen next, what, how should he have viewed that? Well, he should have seen God providentially working around him. Like, okay, if God's in charge of all things, first of all, that's something I have to recognize. And then God has a purpose. Why would God do this? But you know what's crazy is God actually told him in the scriptures why that was going to happen. In fact, let me read a passage for you from Deuteronomy 28. This is written by Moses before there was kings in Israel. God already knew this was going to happen. God said, here's a prophecy for you. Here's what's going to happen. Someday you're going to have kings. Someday you're going to have a kingdom. But actually, you're going to be disciplined by the Lord. Deuteronomy 28, 36, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. 
all these curses, and that's the curses of being taken captive and uh, of just the terror that happens upon the nation, they shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. In other words, when you turn away from God, there's going to be judgment that's going to come upon you, and that should be a sign. You should look at it and go, oh, God's doing something. It's, it's because of my sin. And King Ahaz, he had some pretty bad sin. He actually took his son and burned him in a fire in a sacrifice to a false idol. He t- went into the temple. He took the golden um, objects in the temple, took them out, and he actually gave them to the king of Assyria as a gift so that he wouldn't come and attack them. So on one hand, he should have seen that, that God has a purpose. He's judging his people. So therefore, what should he have done? Lord, I need you. Like he should have fallen down in repentance to the Lord. The other purpose that he should have seen is that God actually was keeping a remnant for himself. God had a promise that he made to one of his great-great-grandfathers, and that was David, King David. First Samuel seven sixteen, the Bible says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made Sure, forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. So this was God speaking to David, saying that you're going to have a kingdom that's going to be forever. It's going to be eternal. Therefore, it can't be destroyed. The the plan that you see, look down in verse number 6. You can see here the plan that they have against this king. And they say, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let's get revenge on them for not joining us. And let us conquer it for ourselves and then set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. In other words, let's get rid of the Davidic line and let's do another line for Judah. Well, is that going to happen? What does the word of God say? What is the promise God made to to David, King David? He said, you're going to have a kingdom and the kingdom, the kingly line of David will have no end. Therefore, look at verse four. God speaks to him. And, and God speaking from a place of his sovereignty, he rules over everything. He has purposed what he's purposed for a reason. He says in verse number four, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps. In other words, see me, we have these fires that happen around us, right? Some people step out of their house. And they can see entire hillsides on fire. That's ter- terrifying. Some of you experience the negative results of that with maybe smoke, maybe even your own house um, burning. I don't, I don't know exactly who's in here and who's listening to this, but that's terrifying. And that, that's kind of what I, Ahaz is viewing right now. It's like, whoa, everything's on fire. But then a prophet comes to him and says, actually, there's no fire. There's just two stumps that are smoking. He didn't see that. How come Ahaz didn't see that? How come he didn't see the purpose of God around him and the providence of God around him? He was spiritually blind because he had unbelief in his heart. Didn't want to see what God had. In fact, that's why he couldn't have verse four be a reality. I mean, I want you to think about just that whatever the uncertain thing or thing is that's happening in your life right now, whatever's happening that, causes fear and dread and anxiety to come to your heart. And look at, look at verse 4. 
And listen to the voice of the Lord speak to Ahaz and really to us as we look to God's providence and its purposes. And God says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, don't let your heart be faint. That's the word the Lord speaks to us as well to trust him. But Ahaz didn't have that view. Because he didn't want to see God and the purpose of God. And he didn't trust his promise. Look at verse number 7. The unbelieving heart fails to trust God's promises. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord God. It shall not stand. And it shall not come to pass. What is that? The house of David will not be wiped out. That's what he's saying there. It's not going to happen. They're not going to do what what they're planning to do. For the head of Syria is Damascus. And he goes through and talks about all the different... Uh, names there, which I'm not going to read through again. And then the very end of verse 9, he says, If you are not standing firm in faith, you will not stand at all. So God promised Ahaz that Syria and Israel would not stand. Did that come to pass? Did that happen? Absolutely. In fact, they would be shattered and would be no longer people as God said. If you're interested in facts and numbers, in 732, Sargon II came, the Assyrian king, and he defeated Syria. And then he came down in 722 to Israel and conquered that, and they no longer were a people. He took away them in different stages. Within 65 years, they were all shipped away, and never again was there another northern kingdom up there. And notice how God admonished King Ahaz. If you're not going to stand firm in faith, you will not stand at all. What's his call there to Ahaz? To trust me. Put your faith in me. And again, remember we said there that actually he uses the plural. So he's speaking now to the house of David. He says, okay, house of David. Ahaz, you're kind of done for. Like you're, you're already under the judgment of God. You've already rejected me. So this extends not just to Ahaz, but really beyond Ahaz to those who are of the Davidic line. God's not going to wipe out the Davidic line. Have faith In the word of the Lord. Syria and Israel were coming against Judah. So so Ahaz, he sent some type of messengers to the king of Assyria. The Bible says in 2 Kings, I'm not going to read this as well, but 2 Kings, the Bible says that that he decided, King Ahaz decided, to to come up with his own scheme to try to work everything out. He didn't trust the promise of God. He decided he was going to trust himself. So he sent a message to the king of Assyria and said, hey, come get these other guys, and then that will be a help to us. But actually, he dug a pit for himself, and he fell in his own pit, as the scriptures say. And what he did to try to save himself eventually actually would very much hurt the nation of Judah. Ahaz wanted out of his problem, so he sought the worldly means for help. And only made problems worse. Instead, he could have trusted the Lord. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, and again, the Lord. So this is a different time. The Lord comes back to the prophet Isaiah and spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as the heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. King Ahaz rejected God's promise with a lie of piety. 
You know, it's kind of like he was saying, you know, I'm not going to test you, Lord. But really what it was is he's like, I don't really want to believe you, Lord. (laughs) Like, I don't even really want you to be a part of my life. I'm going to live independently. In fact, I have a better scheme. (laughs) I'm going to go to someone more powerful than you, God. And that is the king of Assyria. So he chose the, the worldly means to escape his problem. And, and I think brothers and sisters in Christ, I think we do that on a regular basis, don't we? Like God is there as our sovereign, loving Lord. And yet we reject him and follow other ways of escape. I mean, here's the thing. In our problems, we want to escape it, right? And we feel that. And that's what King Ahaz is like, I got to get out of this somehow. So what are we going to do to escape it? And instead of turning to the Lord, many times we turn to our own means, our own devices. I can think of a, a parent or, or a boss who, who, who's managing, you know, people. And, and people can be difficult. They can, they can seem, sometimes it can seem like maybe you don't have control. And by the way, you don't have control. But sometimes you're out of control. Like I can't, my employees and, and my kids and how do I do it? And so therefore you turn to your own means and you choose wrath and anger and you try to force them to do to be under control to do what you want them to do i'm the authority i'm gonna make it happen and so your wrath comes out comes out the bible says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god so so when you choose worldly means and your own means actually it makes things worse makes things worse for you you're not accomplishing what god wants you to accomplish accomplish. I think about a man or a woman who has a lot of stress in their life. And so they're trying to figure out how do I escape this stress? And so they, they see the bottle and they think maybe, maybe if I just drink some alcohol tonight, then I can kind of escape it all. Or they see the pills and they say, if I pop a couple of these, then maybe I don't have to think about these things. I can escape it. Or maybe, maybe I smoke this just to kind of, you know, have a little high here. Get out of it. And yet, yet for a moment, maybe there's temporary relief, but actually that substance ends up controlling you and it makes your life worse. I think about the, the employee who is trying to cut corners and, and, and wants to change his things so that it benefits him financially or the person who faces problems with another person. And so they're going to try to solve those problems. Maybe they, they vent to someone else or they gossip or they complain. They, they text their problems and they're trying to find a solution or at least find relief and escape by their own worldly means. Think about Proverbs says that the lack of wood on the fire causes the fire to go out. And where there is no whisper, quarrel ceases. You see, when we choose to do our own thing, we say, okay, we got problems. So I'm going to take care of these problems. So I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to text this person. I'll call this person. And we start throwing fire or wood on the fire. What happens? There's a huge blaze. How did that happen? How did my life turn out like this? Why is this? Why am I so stressed out? It's like, you're choosing worldly means to solve your problems. And as one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes, promotes health. And so my, my point is, is here that I think what King Ahaz is doing here, he's saying, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to try my own devices instead of turning to the Lord and trusting the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Don't lean upon your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he promises he will direct your path. God extended so much grace and mercy to this evil man. 
I mean, I was thinking about it. I don't know. A guy who burns his own kids so he can have some kind of favor with a false idol. Does he deserve anything from God? But look, at God is just so kind and merciful. But this guy, King Ahaz, still rejects the Lord. He rejects his offer. I mean, think about that. God says, you can ask anything for a sign to show you that my promise is true. Anything, you know? I mean, kids, if I were to say, you can have anything you want for Christmas, what would you say to that? You know, if the sign is true or not, let's see here. How about, Lord, if you give me a million dollars, then I'll know. But listen, this guy's heart was so hard, was so hard against God. He did not want God in his life. He says, I will not do it. And so he did not choose to believe the Lord. Look at verse 13. God says, doesn't matter. I'm going to give you a sign anyways. <laughs> and so he said, verse 13, here then, O house of David. Now stop right there and recognize something. Is he speaking any longer to this King Ahaz? Well, I guess he's part of the house of David. So kind of, but actually it's broader. Now it's, this is the div- divine line of David, the kingly line. So he says, I'm going to give a sign to the house of David because they were the ones under threat. Is it too little for you to weary men, and that, that you there is plural again. So this idea, he's speaking to this group of people, that you weary my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you, plural, a sign. What's the sign? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, hold on with me for a second, because you've heard this verse many times, right? And this actually is a very amazing verse when you understand what we're kind of all leading up to here. In verse 14, the Lord promised a sign to the Davidic kingly family, the house of David. So who was the sign for? It was for the, the line of David. So what was the purpose of the sign? What was the purpose of having a, a, a baby born of a virgin? Well, why the sign? Well, it was a sign that those two kings of Israel would not fulfill their plan in fact, nobody was going to be able to wipe out the line of David. But rather, this sign was a promise that the Davidic kingly line would continue on. So the plans of the nations to kill off the Davidic line would not happen. Not only would the sign show that promise of God would come to pass, but the sign would actually, listen to this, the sign would actually fulfill that promise with a birth of a baby who would be the king who would live forever. So not only were they not do away with the kingly line, but actually there's going to be a king that's born. And that's the promise here that you see in this verse. The house of David did not need to fear its extinction. There will be a sign someday that a baby was going to be born that would continue that line on forever. Now, how is that possible through a human? Well, it's not not possible unless that human is also God in the flesh. Then what was the sign? Well, there's two parts of the sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So the, the baby born will be called a virgin, and also he'll be called God with us, or Emmanuel. So first the sign is a sign a baby will be born of a virgin. And I, I got to stop here and say that some people look at that word virgin there in the Hebrew, and the Hebrew word is um, Alma. And some people look at that word and they say, well, it actually just means young Lady, and so there's much debate about that there, but but actually, this is a supernatural sign. I'm going to give some reasons why I don't think it's just young lady, it should be translated virgin. But but this a, a sign 
is, is given for the purpose of verifying the message of God. And it, it's a supernatural thing. It's a miracle. It's outside the realm of natural means. And it's impossible by natural means to have a virgin conception. And everyone with a mind says, duh, right? So this is a real sign from God. And, and some people look at this and say, well, that, that word could mean, could mean a, um, a young lady. And there's actually a more specific word for virgin that they could have used if they really wanted to say virgin. But I think there's three reasons I give. And I found that I would say I'm 100% positive that the Holy Spirit through Isaiah meant this word. It meant to say uh, virgin. And we should translate it that way. First of all, this word in the Hebrew occurs nine times. In the feminine form, in the book, of, so that's Genesis through Malachi, and every time it, rever, it refers to a virgin girl. And so the second reason is when scholars translated 200 years before Christ, there was a translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into something called the Septuagint. And so when that was translated over, they actually used a very specific Greek word that is the word for virgin, and that word occurs 13 times. In the New Testament, and it always refers to a young girl who is a virgin. And third, the Holy Spirit made it very clear in Matthew chapter 1 that Mary was a virgin, and also Mary made it clear that she was. And therefore, I think we can be 100% certain that Isaiah and the Holy Spirit wanted us to understand that this sign was going to be a sign of a girl who was a virgin who would conceive a baby in a miraculous way. In fact, that's the whole point of a supernatural sign is to say that the message is, is true. And so, and notice this baby also was born of a virgin, but also was to be called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel, as it says, it means God with us. And at the end of Emmanuel, if you look at the end, you see the last two letters on the end of Emmanuel. And what are the last two letters? L. And when you see this, um, the, this, this word in Hebrew in the Old Test, Hebrew Old Testament, it's actually the word for God. So you can see this in Isaiah five sixteen. The holy L, the holy God, shows Himself. Isaiah nine six. For under us a child is born. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty L. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. So the prophecy here is that the Lord would send a sign for David's house, and that person. That baby born would be God with us. And it was to assure that the kingly line of David would continue. The sign was a a baby born of a virgin, and they would call him the eternal God with us. And look at verse 15. Notice that the Bible says, He, speaking of this baby born, shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. So this indicates he'll be poor. And then there's a change in verse 16. Look down in verse 16. He says, For the, before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. So in other words, before he's at that age of accountability, whatever that is, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So that by the time this baby is at a certain age, there's not, those, these two kings won't be here anymore. What's interesting is if you look at the word you in verse 16, he goes back to the singular. So now who is he talking about? King Ahaz, or talking to King Ahaz. So, so the land whose two kings you, King Ahaz, dread will be deserted. So before he was talking to the house of David, that was the sign was given to the house of David. Now he's talking to King Ahaz. And then 
he uh, talks to King Ahaz and tells King Ahaz that, that those two kings will be done away with and you won't need to th- uh, fear, fear their threat anymore. And then 700 years later, Jesus Christ was born. And by that time, those two kings were done away with. So to the Davidic line of David, they could hope for a baby to be born that would be supernaturally conceived in a virgin. He would be the eternal God. and That baby will guarantee the kingly line of David will never end. Now, I'm just going to tell you, as you study something like this, if you don't believe in the inspiration and inerrancy of the scriptures, then you're not studying the Bible properly. I mean, isn't it amazing to think about like that? If you study that prophecy and you come to that and you go, that was impossible for someone to be able to write 700 years before Jesus Christ came and have all of that fulfilled. Then that is amazing. Just that one prophecy like right there actually should convince you (laughs) that the word of God is true. It's true. What God says will come to pass. And last of all, the hope of this baby coming is that he will be God with us. And that leads us to our last point. And that is the unbelieving heart fails to hope in God's presence. Verse 17 through verse 25, I'm not going to read it, but God there warned, <clears throat> warns King Ahaz and Judah that judgment actually was going to come. So these two kings will be done away with, but judgment is coming. It's going to be really bad. What is the question that they're probably going to ask when judgment comes? Where's God? Where's God at? The temple will be done away with, it'll be destroyed. Where's the presence of God now? The presence of God was such an important thing to the Jewish people. I mean, starting in Genesis, God dwells with his people there, Adam and Eve in the garden. He walks with them. His presence is there. That was the hope of the patriarchs. Joseph, he, he, over and over, it says that he trusted the presence of the Lord was with him. God was with him. It sustained Israel. They followed the Shekinah glory through the wilderness. God was present with them. In that temple, they, they worshiped God because he was with them. So why did God give them the promise that the child to be born would be called Emmanuel? Because it was the hope that God's presence would return. God would be with his people in the living flesh. And so listen, listen to what Pastor Roger read this morning in Matthew chapter one, verse 20. But as he, Joseph, considered these things told to him by the angel, or considered these things about uh, Mary, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, so there you have the connection to David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. So there's the hope for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So remember the prophet Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so as a man who would have known the scriptures, Joseph hearing this, what would he have thought? It's finally come. And of course, the Holy Spirit would have had to reveal to him that the promise from Isaiah was revealed 
was, was fulfilled in Mary and this baby to be born. And what gave stability to Joseph and his time of uncertainty and really life of uncertainty? Well, the Davidic line would be continued. God's promise to David was coming to pass through that little baby. The prophecy of the virgin was fulfilled. God was with him. It's really what sustained him was he recognized that God was with him. Emmanuel. And if God's with you, then you don't have anything to fear, do you? No matter what comes in your life. We all face uncertainty and turmoil. And when, when problems and uncertainty comes into our life, we tend to find our own means of escape. We tend to go our own direction, which actually just causes more problems. Our hearts are fearful with despair. We fail to see God's at work in our life. We don't look and trust his promises and we ignore his presence. And so may we today as believers in here, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, may we today, may we listen to the word of God by faith. May we anchor our souls to what God tells us, not, not living in fear of the uncertain, but trusting the God who is in control, trusting God as a purpose, look to his word and see his promise and rest in the comfort that, listen, God is with us. May God give us faith in him. You may be in here and you're without Christ. Maybe you're facing fear and dread and turmoil and you have no hope. But let me tell you, there's hope in Jesus Christ. He came into this world to save your soul, forgive your sins, make you a child of God so that you can have the hope of eternity and the blessing of his presence.